You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Moitzoy Shabbos, this must be Rizchol Daraisa. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and Rav Yosef Kavriel Bechafel is giving me a lot of stern looks as we begin a very stern episode, I guess, right? If we're talking here about uh, uh, another of our alternate possibilities, right? We're talking about uh, something that I think many people have wondered, which is why the Musser movement and the strength of the Musser movement has uh, sort of petered out and what we have now. I know Rabbi Yosef talks about it a lot as a very watered down, homogenized, non-Musser, Musser movement. What would have been, of course, had Musser been able to achieve what it really wanted here, especially in the United States that Rabbi Yosef and I are more familiar with? Uh, I guess in Eretz yes, well, we should mention, we should mention that in Eretz Yisrael, the Kasha is not fairer than it is in America. Because in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't have the disruption, uh, which we had the rest of, you know, America, it's America, the Muslim movement never came. So Eretz Yisrael, Slabotka came in the 20s, right? So you would figure that the, this Muslim movement would have continued alive and well in Eretz Yisrael, at least. And it's it's dead there, too. It's a bigger true Kiddush. In other words, it's one thing in an, a, a, an alien environment like here that was uh, perhaps antagonistic to many of the principles of Musser. But as we can see, I mean, our hero, I think you wanted to specifically talk about, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the person that okay, we want to... Wrong. <laughs> you could always just say that. Say that, look at the I'm wrong. Ask for it. I deserve that. Uh, but when we speak about uh, the Musser movement, there's a real movement, meaning not just a bunch of Jungleite who are being ole matregas, but actually a, uh, a revolutionary movement, a thing that would change the whole way Chinuch and Yeshivas work and Kailim and Balabatim and communities work. Um, let's say that might have been what Rabbi Yisrael Salanter had in mind, and he definitely set the tone. But would you agree with me? And that's who you really wanted to talk about that Rabbi Yosef Yezel Horowitz was really, in a way, the greatest mover and shaker and changer of the area around him of the, of the Bali Musa. I mean, again, you do have, <laughs> we do have great minds, Rabbi Yitzhak Petterberger, we do have Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam giving his uh, Machshavo and wherever he was over there in the northern climates. And we also have uh, yeah, incredible, the, the, the Mashkichim, and uh, Rav and who? What? Rav Kelm. But the one who was, I think, closest in his radical nature to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter would probably be Rabbi Yosel. No, I mean Rabbi Yosel was the one who really took the ball and ran with it. Right? He, he actually created these yeshivas and these makaymas of Torah. Uh, it wasn't just there's a Kelm and there's one yeshiva. He had networks and he had it working and he had the Shmuzerai with the Balabatim. He had the money coming in. The Beis Yosef yeshivas in Europe were with shame with Teferis. Again, they were only called Beis Yosef after he died. And then they changed the Beis Yosef. Before that, it was the Navardic Aderich. And, and even after they had to leave Navardic. I have they, a, on my shelf, the, I just want to pull it up behind me, an incredible, incredible book. Called Navardic, uh-huh. by 
Shmuel Ben Artsi. Shmuel Ben Artsi is was Benjamin Netanyahu's Shver. Netanyahu's Shver. Wow. He learned in the Vardic. And he wrote this book when he was in, in his 90s. And it's, like, it's an incredible book. It's, you know, it's like historical fiction, more or less. But uh, an impact on him. And we know from Chaim Grada as well, from the Yeshiva, it's in the Heartless. It's, it's incredible. What kind of impact it had? If you if you take a look, and again, one of I know you poo pooed my connection to Rav Zelig last week, but another great person who I had this chus to at least hear Shmuzim from, although I can't tell you he was my Rebbe, but I was in his yeshiva. I was in Rav, uh, Rav Yehuda Leib Nekritz's yeshiva. Wasn't a yeshiva. Thank you for the correction. Yes, especially in the Vardic. No, the Vardic, it's a big difference. Yes, there was, and the Vardic was all about, in fact, starting with the Kailul, and then from the Kailul working down and creating a whole Torah community. But Rev Leib, I heard Shmuzin from Rev Leib when I was in Beis Yosef as a Kailul fellow, and um, you know, Rev Nekritz uh, has written uh, in that same book that we uh, that I mentioned to you last week about Meister Satera Biropa. And Rav Nekrit spoke about the incredible list of Gedolim that all went through Navardic. It was it was it, it, from Yecheskel Abramsky to you could you you go from A to Z. Almost everyone spent some time and was influenced by this yeshiva. I mean, we talked about uh, last week. We talked about this superstar uh, that from Shimon Shkup was and the energy in the twenties. But way before that, in the turn of the century and those years before World War One. Beis Yosef was where it's at. I mean, you if you read their history, I think you see the Lubavitch, you know, the 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 Hislavus of Lubavitch there. They're going everywhere. They're competing with Lubavitch in terms of places, cities in Russia. There are images, if you look at that book, cities, the most savarfinous cities have yeshivas with pictures of their yeshiva and and and, and the Yungalite were were, were just like the Shulchan Chabad. <laughs> they were meant to go out and start a yeshiva and start a mokum and, and build from the top down and create great makaymas everywhere. In fact, you know, I saw something that Rabbi Yosel, now it's interesting, you know, Rabbi Zalman, they asked Rabbi Zalman about Rabbi Yosel, the, the dearth of Ksavim from Rabbi Yosel. And you, I know you have Madregas Adam and and it's a very difficult safer to really get a lot out of, I think. I don't know if you agree with me. And, and he never, he didn't really write it. He was editing it and the Talmudim were writing it. Uh, but Rav Zalman, they asked him, why this great man that you've called yourself to spend six weeks in Slutsk and really give chizik? It's in, we don't, where's his ksavim? Where's his writing? And Rav Zalman said his life, that was the way he was maktish, his chayim, the, the energy, the intelligence, um, the passion and the schmoozim and the connection, that was the greatest safer you could ever think of. So I think you agree with me that of all the Tamidim of Yisrael Salanter, Rabbi Yezel was probably the closest in terms of really starting something that could have changed everything, right? Uh, yeah, I think the, I agree for sure that in the, in the end he was, but I think that um, the Bosman Kelm probably started out with that, but I don't know exactly what happened in Grubin. He must have gotten burnt in some way, shape, or form, and then decided, you know, he's going to deal with the elite and, and go to Kelm. Yeah, because in Grubin, 
he was he had a you know a high basically a high school yeshiva high school for uh rich the kids at rich Barabatim. so that would have think that it was more of an effort to educate that mind at that point but it did not last so yes the ultimate robotic was the one who took the ball and ran with it and you know the most as we all know most brilliant uh chapter in and one of the most idealistic and perhaps to a certain extent even unrealistic chapter of by Marjorie Sardin is Mazaka Sarabin. The last one, which is uh, written ex- with extreme passion and and uh, it is really um, indicates a transcendent degree of devotion to Harbatsa's uh, Torah, which as you said, I don't think it was equal to Babich until the last, until this Rebbe, so we're not at the time at, at, uh, that, that the, uh, the Barakar were active. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting when I was reading about one of the uh, shtiklach from Rabbi Yezel, he talks about the idea that why can't we be like the yeshivas of Bovel? In other words, why can't we turn? Yes, we're in Golas, but the same way, at least the idea that we have from Chazal, that the whole community was a community of Torah, we can do that here too. And we can create suras and pumpadisas and, and, and the balabatim. Yes, of course, there's business. There's, but it's all going to be, in a sense, tofel to this incredible edifice of Torah. Now, I want you now to, to, to explain to me and to our listeners why Rabbi Yezel and his chalimos and his, his actions came under such severe attack not only from the Maskilim, who you'd expect that, but from the Rabbanim themselves. When we talk about the Pulmas HaMusr, the, the war against Musr, why was it Rabbi Yisrael was sort of like the main target for this? I think as the stereotype which arose, which which I'm sure uh, we agree is is uh, not not, uh, not anywhere near uh, accurate, and the Vardic as being a place for people who are morose, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, having strange practices, um, they uh, and um, it's uh, especially it's the Muslim movement never never completely conquered the Elamai Yeshivas. Uh, there was a, even though there are places like Slaborka, there was a place like Kamenetz, which arose in opposition to the Muslim movements, and you know, I think it was. They're right across the river from each other, wherever it was, the same vicinity. So um, the uh, I think you can draw a parallel, perhaps, to the early Hasidim and the Kalisker, who was, uh, you know, even though he was a very uh, evidently influential figure, was sidelined by the rest of the Hasidim. Would that not be similar? Yeah, well, I guess so. Rambi Kalisk was definitely, uh, as a Talmud, uh, from Menachem Mendel Vitebsk, took a lot of the Chassidish tenets of the Baal Shem Tev and took them to an extreme. Uh, you know, the, I, even, but, but, but you're right, there was like the physical manifestations of it. I guess that's what you mean. The yeah. Kalisker, what you want me to say, of course, is that he was part of a group that was called the Mahapchim, that we are going to turn ourselves, and they used to, not only did they learn you know, Tifak Sidis, but they also were acrobats in terms of their bodies. But that was it was like just like, you know, you have the the football players who who do a flip when they get a touchdown. Part of what was part of an avoda that they did was they learned how to flip themselves over. 
So when they would flip themselves over, that was what's going on? Like, what is this? This is this smells like Sabbateanism, like the, the, these type of strange actions. So I guess what you're trying to say is, is that the 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 Navardikers were extreme and, and very strange. You know, you take a look at their pictures, by the way. I was checking out the pictures of Beis Yosef Jungalite, Navardika Jungalite versus Rav Shimon's Talmidim. They do look, very, they're all black. They're all wearing black and beards. They're, they look a lot different than what we talked about last week, uh, Rav Shimon's smiling uh, horde of Hevra. So they definitely did have an extreme look about them. And we know even from, you know, the Rabbi Yosel himself did extreme things. Nine years he was out, yeah. nine years he was sitting there in the in the forest. And, and you know, again, the way he treated his, his family, right? This Was that part of the time that these guys are Meshugayim, that they are, that they are, they are parasitic and they are uh, destroying families? Was that part of it as well? Because the- I don't think that that's the case. I think that there were more, there was, there was certainly an idea to, 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 uh, um, it's only this, but not, I don't think to that extent. I think that uh, uh, from Chaim Grad, it also comes out that the there 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 were as a norm, there was a normal aspect, despite the extreme devotion, which the Chazanis tremendously uh, posed, as we know, uh, to uh, out, to nitpicking within the neshama to uh, constant analysis of Megias, which the Chazanis was terribly opposed to, but by and large, I think they're, they're, they succeed in creating relatively high-functioning um, no, no, normal people who then went out and did great things for Christ. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right. The Chazanish, of course, wrote his safer, the uh, um, the, the safer uh, against Musser was really sort of his safer was in the Muna Bitochen. That was the, uh, the safer where he really talks about that he puts in very poetic terms, the difference between uh, Musser and what he feels is, is wrong with that. Um, it, I, I think what's also strange is that, you know, the canard seems to be that they don't really learn, that they spend all this time on ultra analysis of themselves and questioning themselves and doing these strange actions to rid themselves of various Midas Rois. But when I read from Rav Nekritz Atzal's description of what the Seder Ayyim was, it was quite advanced, really. In other words, the ideas of Bokrim interacting with each other in Chaburas, the idea that the highest shear was really the best guys themselves learning to themselves, not even lecturing. You didn't have to go to a lecturer. It was understood. It was almost like you talk about Google and Toyota, right? These great companies. <laughs> At a certain level, there was like a uh, the the playing field was leveled and everybody just spoke and learning with each other. And, and, and it was uh, to me a more advanced sense really of the way learning should be, as opposed to you will sit in your chair and you will listen to what the uh, instructor has to say, like the Germanic sense of what schools were. I, I think they had a very uh, enlightened idea of what Tyra should be. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, it seems unfair the target that was uh, put on their backs. And, right. so uh, I want to share one, one of the things from this, this book here, which uh, perhaps gives, uh, you know, what type of thing they're opposed to. He describes a, you know, in, 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 next to the, uh, uh, to the stove, and this is in Beis Yosef and Mezrich uh, in Poland. 
uh, I, I'm going to translate as a, uh, translate to, without reading the X. Yitzhak Lublin, or whoever that is, obviously, pro probably Sunim, is sitting with closed eyes when he's biting his lips and trying to suppress within himself the cry which stands to uh, 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 break out of his throat. Uh, when, uh, at the moment they came to the yeshiva in order to bring all the kokos and nefesh which he possesses to the war against this beautiful and gorgeous world which, uh, uh, which sprung into his heart all of a sudden as if uh, 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 a, uh, I guess the love of this world sprung into his heart like a marauder from an ambush when they got here. And he already is this, and he already has succeeded in destroying it. He bites his lips with inner denigration on his great uh, degradation of himself, on his great failure. And in silence, he shouts out from the depths of his uh, 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 soil and turmoil. And all of his Ramachi Barab and all of his Shafragid shouting, Yavesh Chatzir Novel Tzitz. Ay, 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 Yovesh Chotzir, Yovesh Chotzir, Nova Otsitz, Udvar Eloikeinu, Yokum, Leoilam, Leoilam. That punctuation is in the book. And he, he sort of brings up in front of his eyes the, 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 the vision, the vision of nature in his in his own village, like he saw them just before he got here, in his imagination, the fields of grain, which were green in the spring and which get uh, uh, golden in the sun, the orchards and the vegetable gardens and the uh, beautiful um, um, uh, vistas around the low houses. And immediately afterwards, he imagines the dryness and the wilting and the rotting, which comes at the end of the summer. And he goes back and he starts, starts mourning again, as if his field has been swept away in a flood. And after he gets a little bit calmer, he gets up and goes to the pile of musters for him, which they brought from his witch. I guess they went to a different part. He takes the Chovos Albavos and opens to the Shar Cheshman and Epesh, and he reads slowly in, in, a, in a sobbing voice, which causes the hearts to tremble. She, that one must think with his soul on everything in which he uh, infused his, his, uh, himself because of his love of this world. And he has to find this, to remove this love of this world from his heart and to amplify the love of Olam Haba when he looks at the, in the end of the two worlds. And there will not be, just like you will not find in one vessel the coexisting water and fire, so you will not find coexisting in the heart of a maimin the love of this world and the love of the world to come. This world and the next world are like two enemies who rival wives. When you appease one, the other one immediately gets upset. So, so that description that we've listened to, uh, if that represents the typical Navardica based on the uh, uh, Biography, whatever, whatever it is the recollections of, um, let's say Netanyahu's Schwer, right? Moving on to you. Yeah. So I assume if that's, it's almost like 
It's almost like if you really know what they're doing, so a, a person who isn't that intense feels that this is some sort of strange um, chanting and sees it as, as something that's beyond the pale. I guess that's what you're trying to bring out. Yes. In the next, in the next, uh, this is just from one page of the book. In the next okay. Paragraph, I think we got, I think we got, I think. No, we got, no, no, no. I'm not. You're not finished yet. Okay. It's your show. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I can always edit this out. Go ahead. Okay. No, I prefer you didn't actually. Okay. They had a, a bursa. A bursa. Right. The bursa. Right. I know. Which is? The stock market, right? Yes. This is the, um, the they used to divide up the base matters. They had a tremendous uh, masa with matters of Musa and Bira and Tikhanamidos. So in Mezwitch, it says they used to go in pairs, twos and threes, from wall to wall, discussing. Here, this yeshiva, wherever it was, there they wasn't big enough. So they had three um, groups, like, you know, the trading pits. And the old... In other words, they used the stock market as a model for the learning and things that they would do there in terms of who was, st- you would have a sense of where you were standing and where you're, where, where, where you were advancing in Avedis Hashem. Right. Now, these are things which don't take place in any yeshiva in any way, shape, or form today. It's best of my knowledge, best of your knowledge. And- right. In, in other words, and, and really, we know that despite how weird it is, they, they, they are taking their life seriously. Right. In other words, they are taking every moment of their life seriously, and they aren't monks. They aren't monks. It's not like they're just close. They actually understand what the world is, but they also understand how precious little time we have on this planet and what we need to do to be mishtalim. And what they were doing, the type of extreme musr chanting to themselves, mantras, um, each one having the guts to be uninhibited to the person next to them in order to really craft a partnership towards greatness that is something that that was i guess what navardic was about and let's go now to our alternate reality we know that you like to have the show back yet am i getting the show back well i think i'm much better i think you got to admit i'm very good at making putting into concise terms what you go on for minutes and minutes about. So I guess that's why I have the show back. You're the pro. Yes. Okay. And I finally found something that I'm not bad at, if not good at. But anyway, the point though is, let's go to our alternate reality, which is really what, the, the, what we're trying to do. The, in the real reality, of course, unfortunately, many of these Beis Yosef schools and Koyolim and Yungalite fell the victim of of the uh, of the Stalinistic uh, purges and killings, and then of the Nazis. So really, the incredible work that they were doing was 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 blown to pieces in in White Russia, in Ukraine, in Crimea, and all these places that had yeshivas that didn't even have them before. And of course, the ones that stayed in Lita and the other places, many some of them were able to escape, but as we mentioned last week, many of them became korbanos. Now, the Alter's son-in-law, Rabbi Avram, uh, scariest, you talk about a scary picture. We talked about Rabbi Avram Wasserman uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Rabbi Avram Yafin is a pretty scary face if you, if you see the picture of him. Um, 
Rav Nekritz felt that he, that was his father-in-law, that he was really, in a way, he got his shver's derech, and he understood what had to be done. And he came to the United States, but as you said, he could not generate anything like what he had been able to do in Europe. In Europe, he was, after his shver died in 1920 or so, he was able to have great success. And as, 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 as is described beautifully in Grada's book, right? Rabbi Avram, what happens here? First of all, does, is Rabbi Avram often considered the great, on the great Moetzes here? I don't think so, right? I mean, he, he had his yeshiva, which I was Zoha to be part of, but Beis Yosef in America, right? What was it? And, and we know that in Europe, in England, for example, I guess, would you say England had its greatest uh, success? I don't know. This is more your territory. Gates said. You mean because of rebellion of Rebdesel? Well, Gates said it was officially a Beis Yosef Yeshiva, right? Officially. I don't think it was not a Beis Yosef Yeshiva. I think, you mean, I, I think the name was just by coincidence. You think it was Oh, it wasn't? No, I because Rebdesel was in, Rebdesel uh, uh, was from Kelm. The Beis Yosef was just a coincidence. Okay, as you, are, as you have searched Google, you have seen that I, again, am correct. I think that... Uh, I don't even. I even. St- I stopped counting already. How many times I'm? I I have been correct over you. But anyway, the point is, it still gives me a little tingle of pleasure. You know, someday I have to tell. I I have I have, I have to, to get that out of my system. Where it all goes back to, and that shlachabol shlachs. We never. I never told anybody. Will you stop it already? <laughs> okay. 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 You anyway, the tzachin, which you have. Natsches. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go to an Avardic. Yeah, yeah, get into our bursa and talk about the Eitzhani's Nazis. Yes, my bursa, that, that's going down, that stock. Even worse than the red, even worse than GameStop. That, that's, that's gone. That's my Nazis stock is really down the toilet. But anyway, the point, though, is, yes, I was correct. In, 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 in the Gateshead Yeshiva, it's known as the Gateshead Yeshiva, was Beis Yosef. And the, the people started it with Navardikers, and they really did have the Navardic conception and they had, uh, of course, uh, uh, Rav Dessler, of course, was the Rosh Hashiv, it was the Mashkiach there, uh, as well as Aurelia Lapian. So they really had a, um, I would say in England, and I, again, I don't know about the Hanhogas, but it seems like Gateshead and the Vardic was a pretty, uh, a, was probably the most successful Beis uh, Yosef. I don't think Gateshead has, has any Last and first of all, uh, certainly when Rabdessa got involved, Rabdessa was the an- antithesis in Navaric. He was not antithesis, but he was uh, Kelm through and through. And he was not, and he was into the Machshava, which was much more the Machshava Dika Musar as opposed to the Arbat and Midos, which was the. Uh, the... Uh, okay, but in terms, you, you, your question before was, was that basically you agreed with me before. That Musser as a trans a Musser movement is more than just a brilliant intellectual way to 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 have an avodas Hashem besides her learning, but really a way to to change your life and to change the society around you. That's really what the the Navardikers were about, mm-hmm. and and to really throw away even the sense of conflict, as opposed to well here we're going to be in the modern world, modern world, modern world. It's the tyrant world, and we're going to show you how it's the tyrant world. There really isn't this idea of a synthesis at all. They don't have to do any synthesizing, right? 
that's that and that could start from changing from within i assume gateshead was trying to do that and and you do definitely get that sense that uh again i don't know i didn't live in england but i have met a lot of english oh, yeah. the bachem in the mirror from gateshead didn't seem to be particularly uh bali musser uh is that is that you ever have me to think that they were yeah, I guess more in the sense that they, they seem the less effective have, than your typical. Let me just put it this way. They seem to have all of yekas. They were like yekas. I'll tell you what I saw. When we came, we were American guys, and even the Philly guys, and even the Rosh Hashiva Philadelphia was with me together in the mirror. He's now the Rosh Hashiva. We all were very American. Right. Despite the fact that we loved the shear and we had Bikiris and Rav Nochem and who gives a better shear and Rav Danish we're going to run away from and we're going to have Chaburas till three in the morning and do all that stuff. In many ways, we still had a lot of the American silliness that was within us, or at least an American, the English Hevra really and really who came from Gates said that I knew were different. They they had resisted much. They'd resisted in a much stronger way what we Americans had. So anyway, that, that's I don't know if that has to do with Navardic or not, but it, it might. So let's go with our alternate story. I'm going to let you carry the ball on this because I don't really you know you've you've got the book. Um, tell me, let's say Rabbi Avram Yafin um, is more successful. And things open up, and somehow, um, and, you know, the same way they're starting yeshivas in the Crimea and the Ukraine, Beis Yosef is, has it's it's not Torah Masora and and whatever it else, because you know, by the way, they also started an yeshivas Ktanos everywhere. That was what they were yeah. doing. Yeah. That, that it's really a Beis Yosef type of change, and that right. somehow the altar doesn't live that long. But as Talmidim do, they get to America and they're able to start the Beis Yosef Shita, the Navardic Shita here and throughout the United States. What's that reality look like to you? That alternate reality? Much more profoundly uh, uh, self-aware, subconscious, value-driven and I think even more intellectual type of human being, type of yeshiva student. I think the to a certain extent, even though we regard brisk as being intellectual, it's not. It's relatively shallow. When outside learning, we have was was fellow we know from Chicago, the Tom in the Skokie Yeshiva. After we left Skokie Yeshiva, he went to Hebron, and he came back not from after three years in Hebron, and he went off to Harvard. And you know, I feel a bit guilty because I pushed him to go to heaven. And uh, I asked him once, you know, what was the what was the issue? They said in heaven the learning was incredible, unbelievable, highest level for intellectual um, uh, engagement. But when it came to anything outside learning, like Ashkafa, they were like in kindergarten. They were babies. Their thinking was immature. And certainly incomplete. So by not having Musa, we've limited the intellectual, um, not, not just capacity, intellectual competence of our uh, Torah to a very narrow sphere. 
And that is the great tragedy in that brisk one, of this great battle. Uh, brisk one over Reb Shimon, which you spoke about, spoke about last week. Brisk one over Musser, when Reb, when Reb, um, Isla, Reb Isla Petterberger came to Bologna in the 1800s to introduce Musser. Prime Brisker, like the prime, you know, the young Rosh Hashiva there, uh, kicked him out. And he said, in in in, in we don't Musser is like castor oil. If somebody is sick, you give him castor oil, it gets better. Somebody is healthy and you give him castor oil, he gets sick. We in Belgian, we're very healthy, we don't need any castor oil, it's just gonna make us sick. So that kind of attitude I think permeated. Uh, I'm not sure where it came from in America because you think, you know. Where Byron Cotland, those others all learned in Slabotka, but evidently it permeated when people went there as well, learned in Brisk, or learned from the Brisk of Rav or from Red Barrel or whatever, and came back here and established that they're up here. I, I, it's a, I'll it's, tell you, you know, in, in our other jobs, which, you know, by the way, you can tell them, tell them about my skill in writing, maybe I can get my job back. But anyway, the point is, is that. <laughs> We have seen many places, both of us, where they do have lip service uh, to Musa, right? Where they have a Musa Seder and they learn. 50, and we ourselves went to such yeshivas. I myself was in those yeshivas as well. And we had Musa Seder and you could actually, it was pretty loud. It wasn't just everybody, you know, trying to find a cigarette or, 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 or leave. So, but the well, difference. The case is by the way. What? In Punovich, that was the case. I went when I went once in my life to Rav Shachir. Afterwards, Musa was Musa Seder. The porch was packed. Um, Everybody I, smoking. We actually tried to go to Rav Shach to speak to him. He wouldn't speak to Musa Seder. But, uh, Everybody was out there smoking and everything. Yeah. Okay. But but we have been in Musa Yeshivas. We have been not Musa Yeshivas that supposedly have the big Musa Seder. And yet, what's missing, even though they're, they are yelling and they are reading. They have the Misosi Sharm out or the Shari Chuva, the Chaybis Avavis, but they're not really doing anything more than just waiting for Mincha, right? <laughs> they're, they're reading it, and I'm sure it's, it's, it's changing in some way. They're learning Musa, they're not doing Musa. The Avoda really is after you've studied it, is to now let's talk about it. Let's think of how it can change right. us. Let's right. think about what this means. Right. Um, let's do it 20 more times mm-hmm. and see how that changes. So really what happens is, is that you get grafted onto, and I know this is one of your pet peeves, what gets grafted onto the yeshiva is, oh yeah, we learn Musser, but basically it's a, it's a shallow um, uh, pale imitation a pale imitation of what Musser was, and definitely nothing like what the Navardikers would have wanted to be. The question though is, and here's where I think maybe our alternate, the reason why I think Beis Yosef was successful, <clears throat> and again, I don't know enough, but part of it was, despite all the attempts to crack the insularity of the Jewish world, right, there was still a, 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 a sense that they had gotten from Yerusha that there's something about the bubble that's important. And they could do it all throughout these, 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 and they didn't, all these areas, and they didn't feel in Russia and in Lita, they didn't feel a pressure of camaraderie, of equality, 
with the area around them. Is it possible that in the United States, because of the welcoming, because of the lack of hatred that was open, and because of the, the wealth opportunities that afforded themselves, it was hard to demand these places be in that bubble and talking and creating this, this fantastic reality in front of them. There was just so much that was coursing through all the American uh, equality, the American opportunities, the possibilities, um, the infatuation with American life that even you know the from people had to be impressed with, despite the fact that they were talking about it being so terrible and it's the Yetzirah and it's Keferlach. Maybe you know it, it, you need. I'll give you a marshal. The same way they say that the that Russia, I mean the Jews from Russia, were the greatest chess masters. But the ones who came to Eretz Yisrael, their children did not rate as high as grandmasters. There's something about persecution and pushing that allows you to create yourself and push yourself in a different way. Again, if, in order for us to imagine Musser taking hold in America, maybe we have to imagine a different America. <laughs> but the America of the, uh, uh, the openness and the freedom despite the Father Coughlin's and all the anti-Semitan and the KKK, really doesn't allow that to happen, right? It, it, just, just, just to enforce the idea that it's your show, I'm going to uh, support But to enforce the idea that it's your show, I'm going to support you as opposed to argue on your premise, uh, which I think is very magnanimous of me. But uh, the, uh, going back to that, uh, the classic... Um, Chaim Salvechik article 25 years ago about rupture and reconstruction, about acculturation versus assimilation. I think perhaps that you're right in that America lent itself to acculturation to such a way which was not possible in Europe. And therefore, it was much easier in Europe to retain this, this uh, um, uh, internal and unique and driven identity because of surrounding culture both the Jewish and and the non-Jewish entire culture was hostile to it. And so you felt that you were doing something which was, you know, perhaps keeping Amisrael alive in the face of all this adversity. Whereas in America, it was much easier to go to a baseball park. And well, back then, not with kosher hot dogs yet, but uh, the yes, and therefore the environment was not such that it could allow for this kind of development. Yeah, well, good. I, I'm happy that we're quoting the Rav Chaim's uh great-grandson. I think it's uh, important that uh, from Chaim to Chaim, there definitely is. We mentioned Chaim the Misnagid and Chaim the Explainer, as far as that goes. Um, well, thank you for being magnanimous in that way. Um, and, 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 and therefore, I would say that uh, America was America. And therefore, even if, you know, uh, like you say, Musser didn't ring the bell. And the shadow is what we call it, the pale shadow, which sort of encrusted itself is, you know, <laughs> makes people feel that they are, uh, you know, doing the right thing. And I think it also, you know, just to end off over here, I think one of the things that, that is the tragedy of what wasn't is also the fact that um, there isn't, like, I don't know, there isn't places to turn other than Hasidish life. 
In other words, the idea of 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 of, of a real transformative avoda that has his slavos that really is adventurous that really changes you. So you have a fellow; he's not getting it from the yeshivas. There, the, there is no Musa Yeshiva to do it. There is no Navardic the way it was. So really the only Eitz is to is to go into the Hasidic Shavelt, right? The neo Hasidic, you know, like the Moshe Weinberger type. Uh, both, uh, like the Neo, like the Hasidic and the Hasidic, yeah. which is really, in a way... Shmuel's uh, case. What? Shmuel's case. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess so. Um and and so the point is what you and that I think is also uh, it, it, it's it's sad because um, you know I think as uh, Eliezer Zweifel has written in his uh, uh, classic book about the movements that arose um, in Klal Yisrael uh, you know Haskola Mus and Musser you know Musser even though it starts later there's no question that that they are trying to answer the same problem. They are trying to deal with the same issue. And, you know, um, and, and, and the, the I, I think Yisrael, Yisrael, Xavier you know what I'm saying? When we talk about, you know, Gershon Shalom has said, the quality of mind that appears in the late 18th century, the amount of original thinkers is off the chart. He talks about, you know, the Magad of Mizrich, the Rebbe, who we've spoken about before, the Chayza, uh, the, the, you just think about the sheer brain power going down to Chdu Sharim and the Kotzker and beyond. And, and, and you can see those energies were used by Klal Yisrael, at least, may, you know, at that time, but they, we can't say that they were wasted. They're, because look, you still have people, like you say, being Mamshech in a certain sense, Whereas the brain power of Rabbi Yisrael and his great Talmidim, it's 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 almost like, okay, you know, God sent them as a matana to Klal Yisrael. You know, Shalom, what Shalom said about the Chesidish Rebbes and their minds, including the Ishbitzer as well and others. There was a leumase. There was it wasn't just there was leumase in terms of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, and I would say Rabbi Yisrael as well. And the, where you know can can it ever be rediscovered and 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 developed? I think that um, let's end here just with this one thing. Um, you know, I, I I think that not only didn't it grow, but I think that Navardic has now become a sort of a um, an insult. People will. We'll, we'll use Navardic, who don't know what it is, to say, oh, you know what a Navardic is? A Navardic is somebody who goes into a hardware store and asks for herring. Navardic is someone who goes into a fish store and asks for nails. That's a Navardic to learn for how to learn how to work on Gaiva. And everybody will snicker when they hear that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's a it's 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 it, 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 what is it? It's a it's a punchline of a bad joke, yeah. which is really a, a tragedy. Kind of helm. Yeah, um, interesting. Just uh, we'll end with this. Um, the Stipler, the Stipler w- was an Avardiker too, as yeah. you know, and he actually he actually started as a Shtikel Chabadsker, and then he went over to learn in Beis Yosef or Navardic. I don't know if it's called Beis Yosef yet. 
And he was one of the, he was a Mitsuyan over there. Yeah, it was American yeah. so, you know, th- yeah, that is Other mystery, another mystery. And, um, and is it possible maybe that Rav Chaim is a shtickle in the Vardiker? No. Chazanish eradicated any trace in the Vardiker <laughs> in the family. I'm talking about some of the weirdness of Rav Chaim. No. no. He didn't eat it. He is really a comrade of Chazanish and he, and the yeshivas he learned in and Lomja and Petach Tikva. I don't think that he got it picked up anywhere. I, I don't see it. Yeah. Well, I, I was trying to maybe hope that that was some of that some of that spark. Well, the alternate history gets a, a sad, a little sad yeah, uh, ending here. Okay. Hopefully next week we'll be able to bring you another possibility of something from the Tyra world that could have gone a different way had things just been a little bit different. The butterfly effect, as we call it. All right. Take care, my friends. That's about it for this week. See you soon. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.